0: Welcome to The Extra Podcast, a production of Northview Community Church in Abbotsford, British Columbia. Your hosts, Jeff, Ezra, and Thalia will be discussing the Bible, relevant issues, and current events each week. At Northview, we love to study God's Word and discuss how it applies to our lives, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So feel free to laugh with us and at us as we try to challenge and encourage you in your faith.
1: Welcome to The Extra Podcast. My name is Thalia. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I'm sitting here with two of my pastor friends, Jeff. Hi. And Ezra. I am here. Both in the house today. Amazing.
2: I know. It's surprising.
1: I know. So question of the day, just to get us warmed up. Who was your favorite superhero when you were a kid?
2: Favorite Where super do you come up with these <laughs> questions?
1: I think about them all week. <laughs> do you this yeah. is the
0: best one you came up with? <laughs> oh, I got more. <laughs> okay, okay, superhero in Superman fact. is the answer to the question. No way. Yeah, Superman. Superman? No, yeah, do Spider-Man
1: everything. or Batman Let as me a ask kid. you a
0: question. I know that they do the, the Batman versus Superman stuff. That's not a fight. Seriously, that's not a fight. Like well, Batman, Batman has, has
1: all the cool stuff, though. doesn't matter. All, all the Superman's cars and Superman's got X-ray and the vision, and he's and a... good <laughs> super speed. He
0: can stop time. He can make an Earth reverse in his orbit. He can be Batman... so fast that he's invisible. Give me a break. Uh... Yeah,
1: Batman has no actual like no, superhero I, I qualities. Have,
2: I have one who would beat both of them. Oh, yeah? Super, yeah, so somebody my, beat my, Superman. yeah my, my superhero growing up was He-Man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> did you guys Josh get is, oh uh, we got He-Man He-Man all right. and she oh He-Man <laughs> and She-Ra, yeah with his little tiger by <laughs> the power of Grey Skull. yes you Satan. Yeah. of course and then it comes oh the, 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 the thunder the lightning comes down on yeah. his little sword there used to watch Justice League punk. you and guys ever watch Justice League yeah yeah,
1: yeah. okay so okay. hey hey, 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 hey.
2: No, you've not told us who your superhero was oh Spider-Man
1: was? or oh. Batman as a kid why oh. but Oh, Spider-Man! I love that he could like shoot from his you know arm and have the spider webs and just go from building to building. Why so not cool. just be
0: able to fly though? Do no, you, get no. This? Do you see what I'm saying here. No, you don't need to actually <laughs> shoot it from your wrist no. if you can fly.
1: Superman. <laughs> okay, it's so, not as so good. Jeff, there's not a okay. single thing
0: that Spider-Man can do that Superman can't do fifteen thousand times better.
2: So, Jeff, well, weren't as good who's, though. Who's your superhero now?
1: Yeah, that's the next question.
2: <laughs> Why is so, this so funny to you? No, I'm just, I'm just en- I'm I entertained. About you're superheroes you're now. so excited about this <laughs> Super yeah, it's Super is awesome. Th- <laughs> well, you see,
0: Ezra, you know me. Ezra, it this doesn't a- take a whole lot to get me fired up about something.
1: Ezra, this is what happens every week. <sighs> I bring a question, he thinks it's dumb, and then he totally engages.
2: <laughs> oh, Jeff. Jeff is awesome. Have you guys you, seen the Incredibles 2? Incredibles yeah, 2. Incredibles.
1: My favorite is Little Jack Jack. I, by the end of the movie, he has, I don't even know how many oh, superhero powers. Oh, you got to see it. it. It's really good. I yeah.
0: seen it. Well, you just gave the whole thing away, Thalia. Now Ezra's not going to want to see it. you got to no, see, gonna it, see Ezra. it, I'm going to uh-huh. see it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, see so you have your pink Bible here uh-huh. today. I do. Uh, Thalia, that's yes. great.
1: It's covered with duct
0: tape. Is that pink duct tape? It's
1: pink duct tape and white duct tape with stickers on it too.
0: All right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thalia is so gifted at I knew decorating
0: <laughs> her Bible. Thalia, can I just tell you, I, I knew like some 14-year-old girls <laughs> that did that too.
1: I, I did it when my kids were 14. <laughs> okay. Because when they were in middle school, the Bibles were very boring. So I said, okay, let's buy some duct tape and let's cover them and make them interesting. Ah, And I have kept mine.
2: Oh, Uh good for you. I know. There you go.
1: Okay. So ready? You're done with the superhero question. Ready for the next one? Yes. bring it. We've had three interesting questions come into the podcast. One on baptism, one on healing, and one on hell. So we are going to have some fun talking about these topics. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the question and then we can engage with the question and then start to spin off from there. You game? Sure. Okay. First one on baptism. Baptism, sorry. I was baptized by immersion as a teenager and I would say I was a Christian then, but now so many years later, I feel like I understand so much more about God and about the Bible. I feel like I should be baptized again as an expression of how much more I know and love God. What would Northview's stance be on this?
2: Okay, first I think, I think, I think, uh, Jeff, define baptism.
0: Define it?
2: Yeah. W- what is baptism? To someone who doesn't know, who's never been a Christian, and they come and they see people gumming in water so and coming my understanding out. Of What bap- is baptism?
0: My, my understanding of baptism is it it is a, an ancient uh, protocol ritual that is akin to the branding of a cattle today. <laughs> okay. Right. So right. basically what it, what you do with your cow is you take your brand and you singe it on the back of the cow so that everybody knows that this one publicly, you can see it. Belongs yeah. to Ezra. This one belongs to Ezra. This one belongs to Thalia. This one belongs to whatever. Baptism is a way for you to publicly acknowledge that I belong to Christ.
1: So and- maybe a more relevant one would be like putting on a team jersey. Yeah.
0: So so but this it's is, more than a team jersey. I, okay. I believe well I, the reason I'm saying it's not a team jersey is I, I don't think that baptism is something that you can put put on and off. Okay. Right. Right? Yeah, good point. So I think that when you claim to be a Christian, it you're publicly you know being, being branded by, right. by, by Christ, and you're identifying right. essentially with him. I think that Romans six seems to speak this way, right right oh, you're yeah. baptized into his death. And raised, and, and by being baptized into Christ, you'll be raised in his in his resurrection. So right. your your identity is fully wrapped up together with with Christ. Uh, that Romans six text is the chief reason why I am uh, I'm what we call a credo Baptist, meaning I believe that you need to profess faith in Christ in order to be baptized. It's because I don't understand how Romans six works, right, in a pedo Baptist. Setting. I, I know I grew up Presbyterian. I, I know the arguments for it. They so have to don't explain Pado Baptist. Pado, meaning it's a Greek word meaning child baptism. Pado baptism, credo, bap- creed, mm-hmm. baptism, profession, baptism. So yeah. people in a Mennonite church or in Baptist churches believe in credo baptism, yeah. meaning that you are baptized based upon a profession of faith. Yep. Yeah. Which presumes that you're old enough to make such a profession, yes, right, right, intelligently or at least some level of understanding. And there's a big debate about like how old is that? Most people aren't willing to put a date on it or you know, like age. Yeah, we don't at Northview. But uh, yeah, some you you could be baptized on profession of faith, but then the other side is the creed is the paedo baptism, and paedo Baptists believe that uh, when that that uh, it, it is. Consistent with Israel, so Old Testament, the way you showed that your children were part of the the covenant, the community that's defined by the covenant, was that you uh, would would um, um, I can't believe the words escaping my mind, circumcise them. (laughs) Yes, I can see why I put it out of my mind. Anyway, (laughs) but you would circumcise them. And to show that their their membership in the covenant, mm-hmm. and because there's no biblical um, statement saying that that kind of sign of one's membership in the covenant community, because there's no New Testament statements prohibiting that or stopping it, people assume then that the that baptism is the New Testament sign that's equivalent with the Old Testament circumcision. Right. These po- folks are called; they believe in what they call covenant baptism, or yes. um, or or uh, paedo-baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they believe basically that when, there's Protestants anyway, believe that when you're baptizing your children, you're not baptizing them into the faith, you're b- b- baptizing them into the community of the covenant. So they will affirm their faith later on, usually through some sort of catechesis or something like that, but they would see paedo-baptism, their, their baptism of their babies, a similarly to the way that a Mennonite would see baby dedication, yeah, right? So in practice, uh, we both do something with our kids, and we both mean the same thing with our little children, right? We call it dedication. A paedobaptist baptist would call it baptism. I don't believe that that's baptism on a biblical level, because baptism biblically is something that happens to people when they profess faith in Christ, and the baby doesn't isn't able to do that.
2: And I think you brought up a very interesting passage. Um, For a long time, of course, I knew what baptism was. And then studying Romans 6, my goodness, Romans 6 is so rich with imagery and language that actually portrays very clearly what baptism is.
0: Yeah, well, it it demonstrates that the person who is being baptized is baptized into the death of Christ. Right. And that this baptism into his death aligns them with, they, they're unified with Christ. So it's not, the language is not being baptized into the cov, into the covenant of faith, the, the community of faith, right? You're baptized in, into Christ Jesus himself, you're, and, and you have union with Christ right. now. You not just through the church, but you yourself have union with Christ with to him. become part of what I'd call the universal church. And therefore, it's all assuming that you're actually a Christian. Yeah. Right. That... So- and, and to become a Christian, you actually—to to be a Christian, you have to profess faith in Christ. Now, yeah. Yeah. there's a whole—listen, I don't ever want to belittle those but my paedo-baptist friends. There's a whole bunch of uh, nuances and contours that they want to add to this that have to do with the uh, doctrine of salvation and other things like that. that... Right.
2: So here's a question, Jeff. Sorry to jump in. That's okay. Failure. But here's a question. So would someone would someone break fellowship over the issue of baptism? Well, I wouldn't. -hmm. Uh, But some would. Like I Mm -hmm. would attend
0: a. What I'm saying is, I would attend a good Presbyterian church. Uh, I would attend Mm -hmm. a good Anglican church. Of course, I would. Mm -hmm. I'd plant. I'd help. I'd help plant those churches. Mm -hmm. I think in this day and age, quite honestly, there are far bigger issues to fight over. That doesn't mean that I believe in paedo baptism, and it doesn't mean that I that I think it's a tiny, unimportant issue. I do do think. I think that there's a lot of unintended consequences to some of the paedo Baptist views. Right you know people end up assuming they're Christians for years when they're actually not because they don't believe that profession of faith is as important as it is I believe it is. Right. Okay.
1: So let's jump back to the question. Mm-hmm. If a person, like many of us were baptized when we were teenagers or early young adults and sure. we would have said we were Christians back then, mm-hmm. but now years later we've really grown in our faith and we think we should be rebaptized. What does Northview say to that?
0: We'd say don't you there's no need for you to be rebaptized. How rebaptism come? is something well rebaptism is something that we would advise for somebody who is Thinks they were baptized as a child, and the reason we, we I wouldn't even call it rebaptism, because I don't believe that you were baptized as a child. Right. So I, this is speaking as somebody who actually was. I was, I was, I'm air quoting baptized. Yeah. As a baby, but I ended up getting rebaptized in a hot tub at a uh, at a health club by my wife. Okay. Because I had come to the conclusion, especially after studying Romans, that this was actually what what it was and so I got baptized it was not uh, by the way I'm not advocating this to people like the best thing for you to do is to get baptized in a church yeah uh because there because you are being baptized into community to yep. some degree um but primarily you're being baptized into Christ and yes there is a I'm not going to break that linkage between Christ and the community of faith necessarily, but...
1: I think there's also the piece that we would expect that sanctification happens, which is the process of being made holy. So when we're teenagers and we're Christians and we get baptized, and if we continue to follow Christ day by day, week by week, month by month, we should actually grow in our faith to the point where we go, oh... Yeah, I was kind of new back then. I didn't Course really know enough. Right. So sure. that Everybody should be smooth. happening. Right. <laughs> right. So that doesn't mean that we get baptized no, you again. No,
0: and and baptism baptism is not a sign of of commit of uh of like maturity. Greater, greater, uh, great, greater maturity. Yeah. Baptism is a no, I I believe in Jesus and yeah. then just like every child who has a has has a birth or an early you know like you 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 grow through the stages, and you're like you said, the sanctification. Yeah. The con- I mean Like you'll you'll have great periods of growth with Christ, and other periods mm-hmm. where things aren't going as well. And but you'll you know that those who truly believe and are 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 God's elect people will continue in the faith. Yeah. Throughout their lives and through the ebbs and flows of all of it.
2: So here's another question. But I just I want to make sure. sure
0: that we're clear though yep. that we would I would advocate that somebody who thought they were baptized as a baby, but mm-hmm. just as I've said before, went swimming on a you know involuntarily. Mm-hmm. I I think that person should be rebaptized. I was as an adult re-baptized, believer. Yeah. Yes, and that's actually one of the chief marks of the Mennonite brethren tradition, is we are we are rebaptizers mm-hmm. in that sense that we don't believe that paedobaptism was a thing. We just thought it was getting wet, and so we believe. If you came to me and said, "Well, I was baptized as a baby," I I would say to you, "Well." I don't think you were baptized as a baby. I think you got wet as a baby, and I think you need to be baptized. Yeah.
1: So what would we say to a teenager who looks back and says, I wasn't actually a Christian. I got baptized to please my parents or to be, be with my friends. Then you should be baptized. Right. That's what yeah. we would say.
2: So you mean to say, Jeff, that if I traveled to Israel—
1: <laughs> Which I just did in October. <clears throat>
2: right. Yep. And and so you go to this— uh, the, the Jordan this, River. Yes. So this the Jordan River is right there. Yep. And uh anyone wants to be baptized? Yeah. This is the Jordan River, Jeffrey. So I, I shouldn't be baptized in the
0: Jordan? I, I'm not saying you shouldn't be baptized. Have you been baptized before? <laughs> if I have. What I'm saying is actually it's funny that you mentioned this because we're teasing some of our pastors who went there and they uh-huh. all they all decided to have like a second baptism yeah. or something in the Jordan River. I think that there is something uh I gotta choose my words carefully here. (laughs) There's something a little pagan about that, and the reason I here's the here's the (laughs) the only the little pagan piece is he's making fun of me because I was is the belief that there is a special significance to certain places and certain uh, waters that is more significant than say the 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 waters of the the Columbia River or the Fraser River Mm -hmm. or whatever, and I I don't think that that's true. I think that if you are Hindu. You believe that. I think you're Hindu, you believe that the God who inhabits the Ganges or who is the Ganges River, that being baptized in there is an identification with that particular God.
1: Yeah. Well, and part of it for me was the fact that when I grew up in the Mennonite church, different denomination than Mennonite brethren, their mode of baptism was different. So we were sprinkled... As an adult, I was 18, and I, I believe that baptism was fully and totally a baptism, but it wasn't by immersion. Hmm. And so here I am at a Mennonite Brethren Church, and I've never been immersed, even though I'm immersing people all the time. So at the Jordan River, it was actually really cool to actually experience the full symbolism of oh, baptism. Yeah, That yeah. was pretty mm-hmm. special.
0: But had you not done it, I still would have been okay. So I'm not a big deal. I don't have a big fit. I mean, the word baptism, baptizo, it, it means to immerse, and that's the actual okay, one more. language. But I, I'm not... Some people I are still frequent, want to talk about are... this
2: baptism thing. Why?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, we are not, no, this... we're not leaving the topic yet. Oh, good, good, good. Because I have another train. question. Yeah. So when people have questions about baptism like this, we bring them to our pastor's meeting and we talk about them. Because one question that comes up now and then is, what if someone wants to be baptized by immersion, but they can't for physical reasons, or maybe a mental health yeah. issue, like a huge social anxiety about, or a water anxiety or whatever. That's what, what I'm, I'm saying. Say?
0: I'm, not, I'm not massively troubled by the... The, the mode. The mode. No. But uh, some people are, and I think in, bet- in all things being equal, the word means immerse. So let's immerse. Actually, we used to have a pastor here who used to, uh, Dave Heidebrecht, used to yeah. put people under and hold them down for a while to make <laughs> yeah. sure every last thing touched them. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not as concerned about about that. Yeah, uh, as as they are. Um,
1: we accommodate people. We want to have baptism. Well, oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: No, and again, I, I mean, I'm I probably going out of limb. Uh, pl- please hear me being baptized in the community publicly in the mm-hmm. community of faith is the best option. I don't follow my example where I just one day came home and said, "Honey, you need to baptize <laughs> me because I think I I think I didn't count when I was a kid and I want people to know." And there were yeah. people walking by, right? Yeah. And my wife was just me and her in the hot tub and she was like, "Are you sure this is okay? Are you sure I can do this?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, no, I don't think that there's any like, you know, formal pastors that need to do that or anything like that." Um I would have done it differently now. Right. Yeah. Well so that's that's
1: part of the growing and changing but, is we realize, oh well But
0: at the same time, if if you're like well, I would like to be baptized in a uh, the lake on our family's holiday with all of those people present, okay. Right? Like I don't I don't
1: We don't forbid it. No. No by no
0: means. I, I would just encourage you to maybe to take our baptism classes mm-hmm. or if you work through I think we have some booklets and stuff that yes. you work through, just at least think about that and and consider that there is a significant aspect of baptism where you are being baptized into and Christ right. and, and Christ is the head of a body and yes. you are now part of the body. Do you understand? And it's I mean, very like,
1: encouraging for the family of believers to witness other people's baptism. Yeah. Like it's encouraging in our faith. Mm-hmm. Ezra, you had other questions on baptism. No, I,
2: I mean, there, there are so many there are so many issues that come up here. Like I'm thinking a, a lot of people ask why we don't have uh, altar calls here at Northview. Well, how does it have to do with baptism? And, and this is why. <laughs> oh, see, I know what you mean. Yes. yes you okay. can see where I'm going with this one. Uh, a lot of people, when they come to Saving Faith— Um, pastors preaching, they lifted up their hands, they came to the front of the altar, they were prayed for. And so now in their minds, that was their public declaration of faith in Jesus because they came down to the altar. And so baptism becomes maybe another step in their Christian growth, and they might do it 15 years from from that time and so on. And yet the scriptures seem to indicate that that public profession of faith, Mm -hmm. that Coming to the altar is more like come to the waters, yeah, uh, to be baptized. Yeah,
0: one of the challenges of the altar call is it has actually displaced baptism in the minds yes. of some people as the beginning of their Christian journey. Okay, so
1: hang on, I'm confused. You're saying mm-hmm. that people come to the altar, they commit to following Christ. Well, if
0: I if I ask you, Thalia, yeah, when did your Christian faith begin? M- most people, you, you yeah. might answer, well, I prayed to receive Christ on such and such a date, or I I prayed the pra- the sinner's prayer or whatever. Yes. Lots of people would point, especially because the altar call has become popular throughout the 20th century. Oh, and you're saying that baptism
1: is the first step, not the. Yeah,
0: that basically what's happened in the Christian church is that people have ended up saying, well, the beginning of my Christian faith was at the day that I prayed a prayer. When I actually think that most, mostly in the New Testament, Mm -hmm. you would point, you know, like Peter, uh, what should we do? Well, believe and be baptized is the language that he uses. And so there's no command for a sinner's prayer. Right. But there is a command to be baptized. And that's because baptism is supposed to be, I mean, what is it? The start? It's basically the starting line. The gun goes off and you start running the race of faith, right? I mean, that's essentially the branding. So if
1: I understand you correctly, you're saying it would almost be better if it was tied quite quickly. Yes. Except that a lot of kids come to faith when they're like four and five, and we encourage them to wait until they're a little older. Right.
0: Which is creates, and this is one of the interesting yeah. parts about uh, credo-baptism is that yeah. it, it does create that that particular challenge. That, but that some particular. churches don't, I was at a church last summer actually in Oshawa, Ontario, and they were baptizing a kid who was like seven, mm-hmm. something like that. So there's a, he was a Baptist church and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, that's an interesting, you know, like a lot of churches wouldn't do that. But I, like I said, I'm not. I'm not going to have a big fight over the. Yeah, we the don't ages have an age here.
1: We've had young kids, eight and
0: nine. What I Ezra's mean, trying to say though is that the, you, that the altar call can be a can be create some uh, see one of misinformation the re- or at least yeah. miss people get misguided about. Like, so wait yeah. a minute. So, what is baptism if mm-hmm. I if the altar call and the, and me praying a prayer is actually being in a Christian my Christian faith? What is what is this baptism? Thing? And so ah, I think okay. what he's saying and what I kind of agree with here is that the questioner is raising. So what people start thinking, well, baptism must be this extra like only if you're really serious Christian. Oh yeah. Right? yeah gotcha. Or mm-hmm. or something right. you like do I kinda for have renewal. to have it together before right. I get baptized. That's not true. Right. Yeah. That actually, no, it's it's yeah. the beginning yeah. of the faith.
1: Right.
2: Okay. So a lot of people, so this should move a lot of people who've never been baptized before, and they're sitting there thinking, okay, do I really want to make a, a greater commitment to Jesus by being baptized? No, no do baptism? you have a commitment to Jesus? Yeah, do you have a commitment to Jesus? Do you believe in, I, we, yeah.
0: we baptize you based on the profession of your faith, yes. right? Yes. Right? And so if the answer is yes, I believe in you, Je- okay, be, be baptized.
1: baptized. Great. Okay, let me let us move along. But on that, baptism class is early May and this is end of April. Wow, so okay. if you're listening with so us. That was all a veiled,
0: <laughs> veiled attempt to get people to go to a baptism, baptism class. There you
1: go. Okay, so the next question is on healing. I have to read a little bit, so don't jump in right away. So I'm the question is it. Is it okay to declare anything in Jesus' name apart from the surety of salvation and promise of heaven? So we've recently moved to the US. This is from a family that used to attend Northview, now in the US. And we think we're attending a more charismatic but theologically solid church. However, there's a person in leadership that often makes statements like the ones below in regards to healing. And here are the statements. In Jesus' mighty name, you are already healed. You just need to declare daily you're healed in Jesus' name. Every morning when you wake up, just say, I'm healed. Is there anything to be concerned about here? Is it okay to declare anything in Jesus' name apart from the surety of salvation and promise of heaven for believers in Christ? Ezra, you're on deck.
2: Yes. So I think... There is a movement in the, in the Christian church today that I think I would call dominionism. So this is where people believe they read the Bible and they understand it to mean that a God is calling Christians to go and take dominion over certain things. So when you speak now,
0: because Christ has already re, yes, won has the won. victory, yeah. So what's left now for us is to is to mop up the yeah to to put, your stake, so to put your stake so they would stake on the ground they would and say and that claim. yeah to act so. You need to activate right. your faith, or you yes. need to claim the victory. Right, you've and they been,
1: will say that we have the mind of Christ. So, be, with the mind of Christ, we right. can declare anything yeah, to be you true. Can be,
0: yes, or and, you've and been made in be the true. image of God, who, right. yeah. who created worlds out of the words that He spoke, and therefore part of our creation mandate or our sharing in His images. That we have the power to declare to things declare things t- yeah. into being. Be true, yeah. Right. right.
2: So this is what a lot of people do now. The question was: Is it right now for us to go ahead and declare? I, I think. Now, we would all agree that God is the one who does the healing. Yes. God is the one who does the healing. So Mm -hmm. we can pray and pray and pray more, and God wouldn't heal this person. And then my, my youngest daughter would come and pray once, and God can heal. God is the healer. So the idea or the notion that uh, we can bring about change and effect change by the things we declare is not scriptural. At least I don't see any way in the biblical texts that will will, uh, will call me to do this. The scriptures will call me, though, to trust God mm-hmm. and to pray to God and ask God to be the one who would move the mountain, who would bring the healing, God who would restore if it be his will to do so. Mm-hmm. So... It, it, there are there there's a certain movements in in Christendom in North America, and I'm thinking, and a lot of it goes to Africa as well, where Christians are being taught the reason why you're stuck where you are, either with your joblessness, disease, or singleness, or barrenness, whatever it is, is because you're not declaring, you're not speaking these things into being. Therefore, when I say hello to you, the way you, you respond to that hello, you're basically declaring truth to yourself, and that mm-hmm. truth will come to pass. Now, I'm wondering, where in the biblical text do we get this kind mm-hmm. of belief? And I don't see. I well, don't see.
1: It, it sounds good, right? I, we were at a church at the beginning of January in Palm Springs, and they were declaring victory over the year and declaring that you'll have your best year yet, and if you declared it, it would come true. But we know that in this world there is suffering,
2: Yes, but in, to
1: take heart, Jesus overcome the world. Like it's but not. The, but
0: the argument that they have is that 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 to claim that that yeah. suffering, there is suffering, but you can have victory over it. Yeah. in The same way Jesus has victory, right? Because he's already achieved it. And so they would say that you're living in a kind of an Old Testament yeah. way if you don't claim that victory, right? By his stripes we are healed. Yes, is is the way the language works in the scripture about But, but, even, but even that
2: verse is misquoted. Yeah, that's no, that's not what that verse well, means.
0: What you're dealing with here, quite honestly, is what we call an overrealized eschatology. I know sounds a long word, right? But yeah. eschatology meaning end times, right? Mm-hmm. And overrealized end times. So we know that God will bring all things to a rightful conclusion, right? The new yes, heavens he and new earth. He will all things will be made right and true and good. That's the great glorious hope, right? Yes. Physical resurrection and new bodies on a new earth and all of that kind of stuff. So He has already achieved that, yes, right? But He has not yet. Totally achieved it. No. So there there is this tension in the present age where we live and I've tried to draw this at Northview several times on a little board that we live what was called between the ages. We live when the age of this passing away, which has already been basically put to death by Christ and his death and resurrection, right? So death is defeated and stuff like that, but death is not yet totally defeated, even though is already defeated, do you understand? Yeah, the
1: now so and th- not yet is often right. how we say it.
0: And so the, the the age to come is already in effect, and the age that passing away is still in effect, and so you live be- in this overlap of the ages, yeah. which means a whole lot of things. And one of the things that it means is that we, we sometimes sound like we're talking out of both sides of our mouth. Do we have victory over sin? Yes. Totally? Well, not yet, right? Not yet, totally. Can you have genuine victory over sin? Yes. Can you have genuine healing? Yes. Totally? Well, no, not yet. You're still gonna die, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. right. But but Christ has, that's why he's called the first fruits, right? That that it, he, he is a sign of what will be. Right. Okay? And so when I pray for somebody and I lay my hand on them to pray for their healing, I can in all honesty say that healing is God's will in the long run. Yes. But is it God's will right now? I don't know. We're gonna pray... That the Lord would bring His kingdom to bear in bear. this moment, yeah, that right he would now. would has
1: mercy on your body? I
0: would say, though, that it is the Lord's doing, not mine. I don't have any authority to to dec- decree and declare any of that. There's biblically there's no there's no uh, basis for that belief that I can decree and declare something to come to fruition. I don't have that kind of power. That you know, the God does though, and I can make yeah. a request and ask. And this is why you have in James. You know, the elders of the church are supposed to come together and what they're told to do is not to decree and declare anything the over. Pray. It. They're just lay the hands and pray. But the fervent prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, right? Right. Yep. Isaiah or sorry, Elijah prayed for whatever and the, the rain, rain came. Mm-hmm. And so we are given examples of how which is interesting, by the way, that's an old testament text, isn't it? Right? So it's it is. A, it's not God, God answers the prayers of his people and he he will, but he will do it according to his sovereign Purpose. Purpose is a will. And sometimes God's not answering the prayer that you want him to. So, like, I pray for healing for this particular person or myself, and it doesn't come. I mean, Paul himself, there's some people who argue this, and this is, they get mad. But I think the thorn in the flesh for Paul was his eyesight. I don't think he had great eyesight. And he called it a messenger of Satan sent to to confound him or create, you know, to torment Torment him. him. I So I believe it was his eyesight. I think I stand on the shoulders of lots and lots of scholars essentially saying the same thing there. But other people argue very vehemently saying, no, that's not the case. But if it is his eyesight, then here you have a guy, Paul who who lived his whole life with a, an infirmity to some degree, mm-hmm. right? And even if you don't say that, Paul, by the way, we can tell we know that his eyesight wasn't great, right? That's why he says I write with such large, letters in, in, you know when he writes a thing as opposed to using a secretary. In the end of right. the book of Galatians, he says, see how big my letters are? Yeah. Right? So it's not hard to cobble together that there was this particular challenge with him. We know mm-hmm. that Timothy, for example, had some t- stomach issues. Yep. So there are lots of examples in Scripture of people who believed in Jesus, loved him faithfully, and yet we're had physical infirmity i'd say the same thing today johnny e. Erickson tata yeah right who's quadriplegic and yeah. she loves jesus faithfully but those there are some people who believe that she's faithless because if she was faithful she wouldn't be a quadriplegic yeah my point is that god often allows us to experience our weaknesses so that through our weaknesses he can be seen as strong yeah and that great right, second corinthians 12 so that that's that's what paul's trying to argue about the thorn in the flesh So sometimes his will is not to heal you right now so that his glory might be seen in your weakness. And sometimes his will is to heal us now so that his glory can be seen in his power. So
1: if people are listening to this, let's say they're listening to podcasts or reading articles, or if they're at a church that are saying these things, Mm. what kinds of things should worry us about this?
0: Yeah, well, what what would worry me is that I think that what sits behind those statements is a theology that I think is flawed. And what really concerns me is that, you're set, that the people who are saying that are unintentionally setting up the people for an expectation of their Christian life that is higher than actually they should expect it to be. Yeah. So you can have great victory over sickness. You can have great victory over all of these things. And if you don't experience that, the fallback is it's because you're not decreeing declaring enough yeah. or you're not believing enough. Yeah. And that's a lie it it could very well be the reason that you're not having the the victory over your sickness is because God in his sovereign wisdom wants to see his glory manifested in your weakness like job so i i think that what bothers you you need to understand that we live in between the ages you need to understand that we plead with God to bring his his future kingdom Right fullness to bear in our present reality as a sign of what's to come mm-hmm. right give us give an, give an indication, Lord, of the renewal of all things in yeah. my moment right now when yeah. we plead with God for that. but we also recognize that God is wise, wiser than us, and at times he will choose to, to answer that prayer and other times he won't. but we leave that in we leave that in God's hands ultimately. Mm-hmm.
1: There's an excellent documentary called American Gospel in Christ Alone. Mark and I listened to it a few weeks ago, or watched it, I guess, through iTunes, and it establishes for the first hour what the true gospel is, and then talks about the prosperity gospel and the difference that that is from the true gospel, interwoven with all kind of stories and messages from pastors that we know and trust. So I would encourage people to watch that.
0: Yeah, there's that a book say. out called, sorry, really quickly, a book out called Blessed, and uh, Uh, Kate Bowler, I think is her the way you say her name. Um, But she she is a uh, has a Mennonite background, actually. And so she went and she spent years uh, interviewing and spending time. She actually I think she's just died recently or she is very close to to death um, from cancer, I think. Anyway, she had cancer while she was going or whatever the sickness is, the specifics, I can't remember exactly. But she was sick while she was going and doing this research project with all doing it about the prosperity gospel. It is a fantastic book mm-hmm. and it's very even handed, quite honestly. Like if you want to hear, hear from a point of view of a person who's particularly suffering in a moment, but is trying their hardest to hear people well she gets a little bit into the history and the background of how this kind of thing came to be in mm-hmm. the United States. Like what, where did all this teaching come from? Mm-hmm. It's not by the way, scripture. The church has never believed this until no. 21st century or 12 late 20th century America. And, uh, that should give you some questions like what's going on in the late 20th century in the United States that leads people to believe that prosperity is a thing that they should always have all the time. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's an excellent book. I really commit it to you. Ezra, you're going to...
2: No, I mean, I, I think a lot of people who've bought into this kind of theology or this kind of thinking, um, a lot of it comes from the prosperity gospel world and some variations of it, which obviously isn't a scriptural at all. And so I think... Uh, there is the desire for people to, to live comfortable lives in the 21st century. And we yeah. all want to be happy and, yeah. and have peace and all that. And yet, uh, Peter, in Second Peter, would say, you know, do not consider it, do not uh, consider this, uh, don't be surprised when struggles. Fiery and fiery ordeal. Yeah, comes. There. Don't be surprised. This is very much the normal Christian uh, lifestyle. And so the scriptures constantly tell us suffering is very much a part of the gospel yeah. journey. And yet, there'll be those who will say, "No, no, no!" On this side of eternity, you should you should be very comfortable. And if you're not, then there is something wrong with you or your faith in God. Therefore, you should believe more yeah. or believe
0: better. It's really sad, too. This is this whole message has, has taken over. Quite honestly, the American church is a an article was just published in the Financial Times. I think it was over the last week. It was about Joel Osteen. Mm. And you could read it uh you can go online, just look at financial times and and uh, Google Financial Times and Joel Austin, and you can read the article, but it's written from the point of view of somebody who's not a Christian, but I think the person who wrote it has some sort of Christian background because they're like, yeah, a lot of the stuff that I knew when i was when I heard you know as a kid about what like i, I spent time around church and like the words that were used in church uh, about you know the problem with humanity, sin, and the consequences of the consequences of remaining in sin and not repenting and believing the gospel, hell, and things like that, like they're not ever mentioned in 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 Austin's church. Instead, you're told repeatedly that you can have it all and everything is fantastic and that you just should be happy all the time and things are great. And if you're not, then here's some strategies to make you happy. And they they were saying is this a, I mean this kind of thinking for the actual numbers are escaping me right now but like I want to say it's like one one in five American Christians outwardly profess this like and they said even more show answer mm-hmm. some questions that show that this is influencing the way they think about. A lot of theology. So my, yeah. what I'm saying is that I think there's a soft prosperity mm-hmm. thinking that's going on in, Amer- in the lives of American Christians today that is influencing their Christianity on levels that uh, Absolutely. Is, is, is remarkable. Mm-hmm.
1: So watch the documentary, read that book. I'm going to read that book. I haven't read that one. Okay, last question. Hell, the afterlife. So this was given to me a couple of uh, actually days ago. So what happens after we die? Does hell really exist? How do we know it exists? I would prefer to think that there's simply a black nothingness, like when we go to sleep at night and we're unconscious for a few hours. I think I'm a pretty good person, and I should go to heaven if there is such a thing, but I simply don't know. I'm not a Christian, but I've started attending fairly often with some friends from work that go to Northview. I'd like to know what Northview teaches on this issue. Also, do you have any helpful resources on this topic for me to read or listen to?
0: That's a good question. Yep. First of all, Mm -hmm. can I I establish something that... uh, nobody will ever earn their way out of hell like regardless of what we think is the nature of hell or the afterlife or anything like that that there we none of us are good enough to to like so when we say things so oh, i think i'm a pretty good person or things like that i, I i'll tell you now that the, the 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 scriptures are really trying to push you to say no you're not good enough you think you are because the standards that you're using are are your peers and they're also trash <laughs> and morally speaking. So we right? would
1: say at Northview that hell exists.
0: We we would say that hell exists and we say, well, how do I know? Because because Jesus, the Son of God, says so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we uh, believe
1: in the authority of Scripture. We
0: do, ultimately. Right. And yeah. I would also say that that Jesus, the one, you know, so we're trusting the word of one who went past death and came back. Yeah. Right? All the other people who say, well, I like to think about this or I like to think about this or I, yeah. I want it to look like this. Well, Jesus is the one who who went went to the afterlife and then returned? Yeah. So I would think that we would want to listen to the ey- eyewitness on yeah. this one. And so Jesus Himself pro- professes that He's defeated hell. Yeah. And there's a way not to be in it, but
1: well, and Scripture teaches that it's eternal; it's not temporary.
0: Yes. Right. So the nature the nature of it, um but I still want to establish that I think everybody. Regardless, I want to set aside the issues of, like, it's nature, it's time okay. and stuff. Those are good. Let's talk about those in a second. But okay. let's start by just saying that, like, you know, if God is holy, which he is, uh, and people are not holy, uh, then, the, then the just consequences of our lack of holiness is ultimately uh, our condemnation. God's justice demands that he actually act to to, to judge. Mm-hmm. And so... In the end— You're saying that all I'm of us fall everybody. short I mean, Romans, of the glory Romans 1 of God. To 3, yeah, yeah. Is essentially The wages to, of sin is death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there's nobody who deserves it. And so yeah. I just want to make sure that that's understood, that you get, oftentimes people say, oh, I think I'm going to avoid— hell because I'm a good person I just line that in there and I just always want to say well no that's not that's not actually the way it works none of us are good enough
1: well because we as people want to compare our goodness to somebody else and we want to say well I'm better than that guy so probably I should right. go, to hell, uh, go to heaven if there is such right. a thing cuz I'm that. pretty good yeah. God's
0: god's standard is himself though yeah right and that what what you need in in order to be counted righteous with god is is you need to either be as good as god Or you need somebody who was as good as God (laughs) to attribute their righteousness to you.
1: Yeah,
2: spoiler alert, there is a person. And that's
0: Christianity, though. Right. Right.
2: So here's a question, Jeff, question. So someone might be listening and thinking, okay, so we would say God is just. Yeah. So you have someone who, like a Hitler, for instance, who's responsible for the deaths of millions of people. Yes. And then you have uh, my grandmother, Who's the sweetest kindness? Yes, not a Christian, yeah. but did not kill millions of people. Mm-hmm. So both Hitler and my mom now, uh, let's say Hitler passed away. Yeah, my grandma. <laughs> they 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 pass on, both non-Christian. How is this just that both receive the same penalty? Yeah. Where they go to an eternal uh eternal condemnation away from God? Why is this eternal? Why well, how is this be,
0: just? The, the short answer is because both have fallen short of the standard. You can, I, we can debate how, like Dante had lots of levels of hell, right? So, yes, so you, mm-hmm. you, we can debate about whether or not, you know, the eternal afterlife for Hitler is different than your grandmother mm. in terms of like what levels of hell there are. But let's not make the mistake to say, oh, no, your grandmother's in heaven because she's a nice person. There's nobody nice right at, at, at the end of the day all, all of us are acting out of our self interest The scriptures are basically saying that we turn we're turned in on ourselves and that we you know the the ways that we don't act that way are usually because we are being conditioned by a nice culture or a nice family or right. a society that is you know shames us for not being kind but when it really comes down to it, right, we are, we, we are guilty before God, and we, have, we are just deserving of his, of his wrath.
2: So people go to hell now?
0: Well, I think my point is that God is—one of the big things that about the doctrine of hell, it's a shock to a lot of people in this yes. day and age, mostly because nobody th- believes God is holy. And, and we, we tend to think that I mean God just is a complete overreactor about everything. Like, why is he freaking out when somebody touches the Ark in the Old Testament and kills a guy? Why why does he kill Canaanites? Why does he do all these things? And so you have lots of authors trying to argue, well, that's not what God's like. God would never judge anybody like that. But the reason they're saying that is because they don't actually view him as holy, as, as what holy meaning set apart, as being morally pure on a level that if you saw the morally pure God... You know, you, you would you would feel so debased that you'd want to die. Which is what happens when people in the old testament see, see God. God. Yeah. Right? Isaiah Even Peter, six. when he sits there in front of Jesus, he's like, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Like I, I don't I can't be in the presence of you. Isaiah six, yes, he sees God and he wants to hide. He's woe mm-hmm. is me, I'm undone. Yeah.
1: We see mm-hmm. him as a kindly grandfather right. who we can plead with to say, Well, I'm a nice person, right. let me in.
0: That caricature right, it is, is what we call uh, based upon the imminence of God, meaning his nearness. And that's true. God is near. He's come near in Christ, you know, particularly. But the imminence of God is only, like, it's not the only aspect of God's character. God is also transcendent, meaning that, you know, he, he is high and lifted up, and he mm-hmm. is the, the God of, of the storm, and he is the one who Job had something to do with, and yeah. he right. is... so. There, there needs to be an understanding of God's character in both of those aspects in order to be have good, sound theology. God is not only considered. I mean, God, God wants to save people, and He is compassionate and gracious in doing so. But He's also just in judging those who refuse to to repent. Right. So both of those are true.
2: Yes. So let's come back to now hell itself and what it will be like. I mean, there's there's a lot of imagery. What, what's interesting is Jesus in the Gospels speaks more about hell than he does heaven. Yes. In the Gospels. And the images he uses are very interesting uh, where he's talking about this unquenchable fire. Mm-hmm. He so, talks about darkness.
0: So the language that's used, Gehenna, is the, the word hell is t- translated. Right. It, it, the Greek is Gehenna. There's been a lot of people who've written that it's... Uh, Gehenna or the Valley of Hinnom is the garbage dump on the outside of it, of Jerusalem. Uh, and it was later, in later days, it, it was. There's still some, there's some question as to whether or not that was the case in the first century or that kind of thing. But the idea though, if you've ever been to a garbage dump in a, mm-hmm. in a, you know, two thirds Third world, world cup, or whatever, yeah. like. The fire doesn't go out; like it's just always burning. There's always fire. There's always fire burning and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the imagery is that yes, it's continually going. That's the, the, the I think that the language there, the eternal nature of it is that it can it continues to go. There's a big debate among Christians about whether or not people are are destroyed. It's the language that's used sometimes in the scripture, meaning they are annihilated in hell after a little while, or if they have eternally conscious torment. Um, I tend to hold to eternal conscious torment because the language of hell, uh, Jesus says in one of his parables that some, the, the sheep will go off to eternal life and the goats will go off to eternal punishment. And yeah. right. That adjective the word eternal, eternal is used to modify both words. So whatever you say about the length and nature of hell in that regard, you have to say about heaven as well. And I believe heaven is eternal in the sense that it's conscious and long-lasting, mm-hmm. forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. Similarly, I think you'd have to apply the same kind of right. thing to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe that it lasts for, forever. You guys can disagree, but others believe in what's called uh, annihilationism, and others then believe in a universalism or some kind of second chance where hell actually is a short-term thing, a purgatory of some variety. No, I
2: mean, the, the scriptures are clear that this is eternal. And even m- multiple uh, parables that Jesus uh, talks about, you know, the master coming back and taking the rebellious servants and casting them to eternal mm-hmm. damnation. So the language he's using here indicates very clearly that hell is eternal. So it is a conscious eternal separation from, no, e- uh, conscious, eternal condemnation that the person will be experiencing, yeah. uh, torment. But, but
0: Okay, but there's a debate too, though, about whether or not that's, even if you go in that direction, which is what I do as well, mm-hmm. there's a debate then about, okay, well, is it fire? Because in places it talks about fire, or mm-hmm. is it outer darkness, as it says in Jude? Mm-hmm. How could both of those be the case? And so my my answer is I I don't I don't actually know I I think that uh, outer darkness and fire fire by the way in the ancient world was like the worst possible thing there was like if you wanted something that was consume the entire city and b- destroy everything fire was the thing fire was it like you were really scared of it so I actually think that these images are used uh, in provocative ways hell hell maybe what C S Lewis said which is it's a bus ride into heaven every day. <laughs> Um, it, it may be what Tim Keller says it is, which is that you're, you know, like you're voluntarily staying in there because you're so bent in on yourself that you don't want to get out. Like he points out that the the rich man and Lazarus, you know, Luke sixteen, right. that the guy doesn't Lazarus doesn't or sorry, the rich man does not ask to get out of hell. He just asks for Lazarus to come and to, to be his servant again, type yeah. stuff. So it maybe I'm not fussed about it. I'm happy to have that conversation about it, but I do believe it's eternal. I do believe it's conscience. Conscious. I don't know whether or not it's literal fire or literal outer darkness. But the idea that it's just the person who's asked the question, the idea that somebody just dies and goes into black nothingness—that's the basic. That's the viewpoint that most atheists or yeah. secularists would have, and that. It's a comfortable This one. is the only life you yeah. have, and then you just kind of go into yeah. the, either the abyss, or there's, it's, you're, you're, just, you're, you're not aware of yeah. anything anymore. That's not the way the scriptures describe it.
1: So how should the doctrine of hell then impact us as believers? Because a lot of believers are very afraid of hell, but we don't need to be. Nope. Because when we trust in Christ, we have heaven. So how should it then impact us, this theology this
2: truth of hell. I mean, I, so many ways. There's so many, uh, to start, uh, right, right out of the get-go here, uh, the justice of God is a big thing mm-hmm. and it's a very comforting thing. So, for example, this past Easter Sunday, mm. there was this bomb blast that went off in Sri Lanka, killed, yeah. right now, the death toll is about 320 people, 310, 320 people died and, Over 500 injured, and so you may have families there who have lost loved ones for no reason. This is just a senseless act. They went to church, went about their business, and boom, their day has been changed. And so the question then becomes: and you'd have this suicide bomber strapped in, strapped himself with all these bombs, and then detonated himself. So now, on an from an earthly sense. You can't provide justice. The guy, the suicide bomber is done, like he's gone. Well, it's yeah. like
0: the guys who go around shooting up schools and then they right. shoot themselves in they, the yeah. end and yeah. they think everyone's like, oh, but there's no justice done.
2: Yeah, so now you're left feeling so hopeless yeah. and yet the justice of God is demonstrated against the perpetrator in the sense that there is hell. And that becomes very comforting to to a loved one who has lost oh, someone. If you've if you're yeah. been
0: oppressed, like the oppre- oppressed peoples in the world, yeah. Then, yes, the, the idea becomes, that God is going to be just this is a good is thing. a good thing. Oh, Man, it is very. You, you would take great umbrage. I know in the west, in the Western world today, we take great umbrage at the idea that God would judge. But the problem, the reason that we do that is because we've not really been under oppression. If you've been under oppression for long enough, the idea that God is going to judge the oppressor, especially the government or somebody who's coming and they, like wicked, the idea that God is going to judge Hitler, who killed himself in a bunker. Like, that seems like he got off scot-free Or, or for, yeah. for, for instance but yeah he didn't he didn't right that, that God actually so so Romans 12 for example that some people would say well that that leads Christians I've read this many times that leads Christian people to think that they should be able to fight, you know like go to war and, and battle because God has got a, a judge and then they think they're the sword of the Lord and they're going to go out and do this actually no if you read your scriptures you know in Romans 12 Paul's actually trying to argue, at the end there that you know leave room you, you you don't need to seek revenge you can leave room for the wrath of god. Well what is he talking about with the wrath of god? In other words you can leave it to the just judge that he will actually make things right. Right. In the end and so I don't need to seek revenge cuz no. god himself will 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 Avenged be my you. defender. Yes. In the end. Eternally. Right. You should also repent and believe the mm-hmm. gospel, that it's not just, hey, right. come to Jesus because he's going to make your life happy. <laughs> yeah. and here and now, that actually yeah. if you don't repent and believe, you, stand, you, you remain under your sin, you remain condemned. Yeah. And the danger of condemnation... Is eternal separation from God. Right. Yeah. And and I don't want to even make that sound soft. That like sometimes the way we talk about hell to people, oh, you'll be forever separated from Jesus. Well the person separated from Jesus now and they're happy. Right. Yeah, but like truth. that's not that's yeah. not the image. That's why fire and outer darkness, this is not a comfortable spot for you but to a be lot in whatever people, it looks like.
2: But a lot of people assume that hell is a separation from Jesus. Actually that's not true either. Yeah, the, the pro- Bible does say Revelation chapter thirteen. Jesus Himself, with His angels, will be in hell, inflicting. So the there's judgment.
0: a big as are the Africans gone dark on us. And the, no, no, it's, you're right. No, it's it's it's, Revelation is true. It's the, true. The, the, the point in the end, though, is yeah. that is that it's it is a, by by robbing hell of any of the dangerous aspects or the fearful thoughts of it, which is tends to be the commonplace in, in the church we've actually done people a disservice. It's a place you should be avo- you should be avoiding at all costs.
1: And praying for your loved ones. Right. Oh, That's yeah. why yeah. Jesus
0: says you know if your hand causes yeah. you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to go through life without a hand than to end up in the fires of hell. So right. I, like we have So both you hands. should in other words Jesus is saying do whatever is necessary to avoid it.
1: Yeah, cuz it's eternal. Right. Oh yeah.
0: Which is why we should yeah. end by saying that all who confess and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will not go to hell. Yeah. They will they be will saved be eternally, eternally. Welcomed into mm-hmm. uh, the new heavens and new earth where Jesus Himself will be
2: the Son. Yeah. Oh man. We could go on and yeah. on and on. So with thank
1: this. you for these questions, sending them in. Please send in more questions because this was kind of fun. Baptism, healing, and hell, all in one podcast. Send them in and we'll have more chance to talk. Thanks for joining us today.